storytelling. This ancient art form is constantly reinvented. I'm your host Fabian Seward and I'm super excited to take you on this journey with an extraordinary inspiring personality. Let's go and learn about the craft of storytelling. Welcome to the Sea Arts Podcast. We build a bridge between arts and business and want to inspire you to see arts. Welcome everybody to a new episode of the Sea Arts Podcast. Today it's a big pleasure for us to welcome Brandon Shelper with us and we're going to dive into the world of storytelling. Brandon is an extraordinary producer the master of the craft of storytelling and as well the creative director of Battle Royale. So we have a multi-talented creative with us. Originally, he's from Australia, but right now with his global exposure, he found a creative home in Berlin. And with Battle Royale, he really challenges the impossible at the intersection of technology, but also his background with theater. And I'm really so excited about this inspiring exchange with Brandon in these yeah, challenging times. So yeah, let's welcome Brandon. Thanks a lot for taking the time and joining in. Thank you, Fabian. I should get you to do the introductions for me, uh, you know, as a running business, because it was a very, very strong one. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy about that. Well, thanks a lot. So maybe MC might be a creative pivot for my future. Let, let's, yeah. see, let's see how it goes. Introducing people. <laughs> That's well, very nice. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, to get started, let's uh, let's give our, our listeners a bit more of an insight. Who are you? Where did this journey lead from? Or how did this journey guide you from Australia with uh, some theater experience all the way to Berlin? Take us a bit on these inflection points on your journey of growth and creativity. Yeah, sure. Well, actually, I um, I was studying circus. As a, as a young kid. So I, you know, from the age of 10 till 18, I was actually part of a Australian um, youth uh, training program and, and, and this was circus oriented. So contemporary circus, a lot of acrobatics, dance, theater um, was all a part of that world. Um, and predominantly, um, you know, physical storytelling or highly visual storytelling. Um, so as a kid, I was kind of like touring the world and, um, and, you know, Australia, um, working in entertainment and, and, you know, training heavily, um, during all my schooling. So that's, that's how I got into, um, this world. And that kind of progressed to, um, theater studies, which we ended up doing, you know, in my finals at school, um, and then, uh, joining in a company straight after graduation where I spent five years, um, uh, in more like dance theater, physical theater. And with that company, um, we were doing a lot of diverse, um, forms of performance and, um, and creative, uh, production that we were also doing very large scale work. So that means like taking over, you know, a city square or a building or something like that, um, for cultural forms of, of performance. Um, and then, because we were being seen by major festivals and things like this, we were, we were touring internationally a lot and, um, you know, invited to, to, to work on a choreographic part for the um, Sydney 2000 Olympic Games. And this kind of got me into ceremonies and um, that's how the whole world uh, opened up. And 
yeah, so by the time I was like 23, I'd basically had, you know, everything from the stage to Olympic stadiums under my belt. And, um, and that's kind of what I've continued to work on um, over the last 20 years. Awesome journey. And like, I also have some background in circus. How is it for you actually, or how was it for you at such an early stage to already change the positions from being on stage towards being behind the FOH and, and from there directing the things? Was this a hard cut or were you also uh, switching back and forth and still sometimes performing? Or was there a decision point where you said, actually, to, to get to the next level, it's time to get off stage and see the big picture and everything together? Yeah, I guess, um, you know, I guess I always had a pretty strong dominant, you know, side in terms of creation. Even when I was a kid, I really liked coming up with, you know, the, the, the material. Um, and then that just increased more and more as I, you know, went into um, professional companies in my 20s. And, you know, I worked with a lot of different companies um, from, from my 20s to, to early 30s. Um, some major companies like De La Guada, you know, touring internationally. Um, and at one point I'd got a bit tired of the repetition as in doing one show for four months, you know, in a city, this was starting to really, you know, drain me um, mentally. And it just became a bit, you know, um, uh, monotonous, I guess. And I, I was like, okay, there has to be more to this. And my passion was really in creation. So I, I was lucky enough to get a few scholarships and development grants um, from Australia, which allowed me to go and investigate different companies like Group F, the pyrotechnic company in France, and um, a, a, a theater company in uh, Montreal, for example. And so I spent, you know, 12 months just traveling around, looking at how other people are working in very div uh, diverse fields. And um, yeah, then ended up eventually in, in Berlin and was making my own work. And um, that's kind of was the birth of, of battle. So I think for me, it just got to that point where I preferred to be um, creating and directing rather than performing. Um, not because I didn't like performing, but I kind of I just wanted more, you know, I, I, I was happy to do a couple of shows, but people don't understand doing 10 shows a week, you know, for, for five or six months, the same thing day in, day out becomes very quickly groundhog day. Um, and you know, that's something you have to, to deal with, um, on a daily basis as a, as, as an actor or a permanent, um, player. Yeah, I agree that at some point it's it's definitely making a bold decision to say do either this or that and then do it uh, 150% or to do not, not small steps on each side, but rather to, to, to do a real leap. And well, what is, what is the meaning of Battle Royale? It's actually uh, a good question because when I was looking up Battle Royale on Instagram, there's a lot of Fortnite things uh, happening with yeah. Battle Royale. So uh, yeah. tell us a little bit, how did you create this name? Well, Battle, Battle Royal, I mean, we start, I started uh, actually with the kind of um, landing page in mind because we, we, you know, take a lot of pride in working between um, culture and commerce. And this was, this was something we were doing from the very beginning. You know, we were creating, um, let's say, like contemporary theater works or dance, you know, theater works, but we were also working for major brands in doing brand experience. So we were sitting somewhere on the fence in between these two um, sectors and, um, 
that's kind of how the the name came about battle being like us fighting to to have creative space and royal how you were generally treated when you were working on larger scale projects you know of corporate nature um and i must say those two worlds and separations still exist and they have a lot of uh, conversation between these two sectors but in many ways it's pivoted you know like um the royal for us is now having the creative freedom, you know, of a, of a cultural project um, and having that space to think versus that very cutty, uh, you know, time sensitive um, uh, scenario that you have in a corporate uh, world or, 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 you know, um, being dictated by a, a brand and what, what their way of working is and the message they want to say, that restriction this can be the battle, you know, in many ways, I think, as we know, as, um, as creators. So, um, yeah, this is, that's where the name came about. Also these connotations of this battle royale, it's a kind of wrestling term of all in, you know, all in the ring together, um, battle to the, to the end survival of the fittest type thing, something very theatrical, you know, in that sense. Um, Yeah. That, that makes total sense in a way. Sometimes I also describe Dundu as the Robin Hood of the performing arts because we have a similar approach in a way that uh, for sure somebody has to, to pay the bill and actually the corporate events are also sometimes challenging you, coming up with new technological ideas. Uh, and also, as you said, the time-sensitive stuff is also like it's pushing you to create, but then having as well the creative freedom to, to be like in rather a lab mode and explore is then the freedom that you have to, to fight for and then in a way not get too much into one thing to lose the other thing. And so, it's, yeah, it's a, exactly. a constant yeah. balancing act. But on the one hand, I think at, at some point you also achieve to that both are kind of helping each other that like from the lab and the experiments, new things come up that, uh, that then the, in a way more commercial part is interested in, for example, some digitalization project, we have baby Dundu just as a rather game experiment. And then from there on, like uh, some companies said, ah, oh, we want the digital Dundu. And I think for you it might be the same that, uh, like can also be like mutual supporting each other. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I mean by this kind of conversation um, where the, the, the two sides certainly have a lot to learn from each other. I think also a question about, you know, um, creative practice and the arts um, becoming a financially sustainable structure, you know, which I think it's, it's fair to say um, in many respects it's not, you know, in terms of um, getting funded and, and does, does that project, is that project capable of even closely fulfilling um, or recouping that financial investment, that time investment. And of course, it shouldn't be about, you know, um, with the, is the project making a profit? But I think there's a certain responsibility as a creator where you say, okay, you know what, how many people is that going to reach um, versus its cost? And is that financially viable or is that just a gross misuse of funds, you know? Um, versus creating something which can be experienced by many, many, many people and offsetting that kind of per, per head cost um, and using those funds in a kind of responsibly, uh, you know, socially responsible manner. And vice versa, you know, in the corporate world, teaching them about a holistic approach and saying, well, that is also a huge waste of, you know, um, funds and energy and money. Um, couldn't we think about doing that a better way that can benefit the community, you know? Um, so this is, these are always interesting things to tackle, you know, when you're working between those two sectors, as I said, 
Um, but certainly a, a lot of uh, influence coming from both sides um, in, in terms of benefiting from a creative experience or whether it's a brand experience or, or something more cultural. How do you handle these two hats on the one hand as well, being the CEO and as well like having employees, having uh, economic uh, necessities on the one hand, on the other side also being like a, a visionary How do you have certain time frames or can you say that both hats fit on the head sometimes or what is a good approach for you to, to handle that? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's something that I've just kind of done from the beginning. You know, um, I've always had that ability to split, split the two. Um, I'm really lucky to have uh, a strong administrative team, you know, at Battle. So I, I, that allows me to step in, just be creative um, for certain periods um, without having to worry about running the company. And that, that's hugely fortunate. Um, and yeah, I guess I, you know, I've never really struggled about seeing the, let's say the functionality of, of, of something, you know, the feasibility of something versus that's I think it was kind of the producer hat where you say yeah I, I can figure out how to make that work and I can figure out how to how to get the most out of that um, without just thinking about an elaborate creative idea without any idea about how to realize it um, and I you know I understand that not everybody thinks in that way but for me I guess you know I sit somewhere in, in the middle um, between this kind of creative thinker versus this uh, practical um, uh, thinker. And, you know, that also has its uh, shortfalls because um, it sometimes stops you from being overtly creative because you start to be also too practical. Um, but, you know, that's a battle. And I think we, we all have our own um, battles in terms of creativity and, you know, self-critiquing and all those um, elements. So, That's, that's something that I'm doing just on a daily basis, I guess. There's not really any set structure to it. And tell us a little bit about the team at, at Battle. There is an administrative part, but also like different creatives come together. And how do you lead them? How do you kind of bring them on the same, on the same table to, to make these immersive experience that you create? Yeah, well, um, we, we're a core team of around 15 people. Um, That was like, the team is a bit smaller now with uh, with most of the production team on Kurzarbeit or, or furloughed um, simply because we don't have productions running right now. But generally, we're a pretty tight um, group. The mix of uh, administration team, um, a, a creative team, um, motion designers, um, office management. We have uh, a couple of Azubis, you know, and. Um, We essentially connect once a week, you know, to go over all the, the, the pressing points and, and updates on projects that are running. Often we'll have six projects running parallel. So it's good to keep a quick overview about how that, 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 that's working. Um, but essentially um, having a kind of structure split between some of the tools that, you know, the, the online tools that we're using, um, that we can have a kind of solid kickoff and understanding about what a, what a project is going to demand. Um, and then, yeah, delegating this within the team um, so, so, so that it runs smoothly. I mean, I know it sounds simple, but of course, um, you know, companies, I think, are um, 
are made by their ability to delegate and have those small teams running within the big team. Um, and we take a lot of, uh, 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 let's say, pride in our attention to making sure people feel comfortable um, managing those teams because a lot of the projects we're doing are very large scale, one-off, you know, um, one-hit wonders, we call them, um, where you're creating something for for the first time, you know, so you're, you're actually learning in that process about how to do things. And if you think about normal companies, they're developing a product and then they refine that same product and then they sell that product, you know, but actually what we're doing is in really inventing a new product every time we produce something. Of course, we use similar tools and, you know, ways of telling the story, but we're often always inventing new ways to tell things. And that means new technology or new formats or, you know, working with uh, new people, objects, animals, buildings, whatever that might be. Um, and you're trying to find a way. And, and this is, I think, the most precarious thing of what we do is, is making sure that we find the way and that it works on time um, when we unleash it to the, to the public or the, you know, the client. Um, but I must say this, this period of uh, COVID shutdown has been, uh, you know, exceptional for us because we, we dived into an um, intense concept phase for a, a particular um, uh, ceremony opening. For, this is actually for the ESH. Um, Luxembourg uh, Capital of Culture, which is happening in 2022. Um, and we had this planned to be a, you know, a conceptual phase. Um, and, it, and it just so happened that the lockdown happened parallel. So we dived in with some, you know, online tools that we established and we, we entered this kind of creative prototyping phase where we made a kind of structure and process around what I thought we needed to give that, let's say, um, local team from the management body at the, the Capital of Culture to give their authentic and legitimate input so they could take ownership of this concept that we were creating. Um, and that was through a series of exercises. And like I said, within this bundle of creative prototyping, using online tools and what we found is this really streamlined that process. So it got rid of a lot of the, um, you know, let's say arduous meetings where people eyes are rolling, you know, in the back of their heads, you know, we all sat in a room with no oxygen and actually just made us very efficient. Everybody listening to each other because of the restrictions of zoom and pooling ideas, you know, using shared documents. Um, this, this was a great learning and, and something that we refined over the last three months and that we are now, able to use on um, all other projects. So this is this was a really interesting time in coordinating the team and how we can work together. Wow, that sounds cool. But two small thoughts on my side. I think one point was uh, in the arts, you oftentimes, Tobias, our co-founder calls it, you're riding the roller coaster while building it. And I think that's actually like the, the fun part of it that you're really like experimenting uh, at the edge. I would love to... Uh, if you could also share what other tools uh, beyond Zoom are using to also really get creative together, because I think Zoom is a great way. Uh, it, it rather really also tells you can see everybody uh, how to listen carefully. But in a way, uh, I experienced, for example, 
uh, recently uh, with Event Design Collective, a great collaboration on Mural. Are there any other tools that you could recommend and any other hacks from this uh, design process that, that you could share? How can you really get a creative team digitally together? Because you know, at some point, uh, everybody before was so much, yeah, we have to meet in person because digitally is not possible. Right now we see it's actually possible. And in some ways, I experience it actually, sometimes it gets more creative because it is so visual and also like you, um, you have it, directly perfectly documented which is also like sometimes for me a, a big advantage that like from i love post-its and these things from design thinking but sometimes like mural and these tools are really like so good so please uh yeah share a bit of yeah. these, these hacks with us well i think you know personally i think um there's nothing better than like all sitting in a room with a whiteboard really you know and a, and a bunch of post-its um of course they are the essential tools that are being offered to us in a digital format now. And um, that's not going to make suddenly your process more creative or better. You know, that's not process, they're tools, right? So um, what what we've actually tried to do is structure like, you know, Google Docs or any, any type of shared document, I guess, um, into a process which allows us to, to creative um, prototype. And so that, that means you know, actually inventing a process which best includes the thoughts of the group, in, includes the motivations of, of the, the, the client or, or whoever you're, you're working with um, and gives people this legitimacy of, of uh, input and, and ownership, like I said, but that, um, you know, that we kind of uh, shepherd or, or structure that that um, that input and filter it down to something um, authentic, and you know that's a kind of vague way of talking about what we're doing. And um, there's many many different ways to approach that. But I think what we did was was go through um, some of the best tools we thought at at first of all brainstorming, then some of the best tools that we thought at at um, litigation and and going through and sorting out all of that brainstorming, which is often really often really difficult. Um, and then the best tools for uh, bringing that together into uh, a story or dramaturgy. Um, and that whole process we figured we can do in around, uh, you know, six or seven days, depending on how many feedback rounds that you want to have with your uh, co-collaborator or client. Um, and once we have that body of work and ideas, that just makes it so much easier for us to then spin this into an experience, whatever that might be, if it's live or digital, once you've got that body. Um, and, you know, tools like shared documents just, just speed up that whole process. So you haven't got just one person writing, you've got the whole group writing simultaneously. You know, you haven't just got one person standing at the whiteboard editing, you've got, you know, the whole group editing uh, parallel and reordering things and restructuring things. And the speed in which you can move, you know, with those tools is, is for me what's the groundbreaking thing, you know. Um, and then there's stuff like with Zoom, which just restricts people from talking over the top of each other, you know. So everybody in that meeting gets heard when they speak. And this, this also is, is much more efficient. You know, not one person can dominate the meeting. It's, it's very even. Um, and that's, that's a game changer, particularly for people that are more introvert. 
you know, and, and aren't the ones putting their hand up to speak in the room. That's often dominated by one or two people. So they, those are all positive things, even though um, people are saying that Zoom meetings for them are, are, are exhausting. I never actually felt felt that myself. I felt sitting for a long time is exhausting, but if you have regular breaks, um, it's quite manageable. Yeah, the speed. The speed is so interesting how we can collaborate and actually like it, how it visualizes the, the power of, of co-creation. You mentioned that at the core, you're focusing on creating experiences and around the experience you you write you create a story and then you you think would this be digital would this be analog or you also mentioned you understand battle royal as a hybrid company or as like a hybrid thinking approach yeah i mean you know for us i think we're always talking about story aren't we like you know we're, we're fundamentally our whole lives orientate around stories, retelling stories, listening to stories. Um, that's, that's nothing new. I think the, um, the question is like, to, to what extent are we telling that story? You know, is it about a color? Is it about a, you know, uh, the A to Z of someone's life? Um, is it about a brand's history? Is it about, you know, um, I don't know, a new design of a shoe I think um, inherently we want to lead people on a, on a bit of a journey. Um, and of course we were always working with kind of cutting edge technologies as an extension of our physical selves to tell those stories, much like, you know, you guys are using puppetry to, to extend that expressive uh, nature of the human body. Um, we were doing it on the sides of buildings with massive video and, you know, interactive uh, technology um, to accentuate that story. And um, what we've experienced now with COVID is this massive shutdown and, and you know, um, restriction of major events. Um, but the, the, the great thing is that all of our storytelling and these experiences, whatever form they're taking, um, can can very easily exist in the digital format. So um, it's just that the screen, you know, <laughs> the playing field is a little bit smaller. Um, but I would argue that the ability to impact um, the, the mass audience is, is just as big, you know. Also with very intimate things, you know, now we can reach mass audiences um, with very intimate moments on the screen um, that, that you can't do in a live scenario. So, you know, everybody's talking about experiences and digital events and all those sorts of things um, because these words are trending right now. Um, but I think we're yet to see that as a real craft. Um, I think really exciting things are going to come out this summer as you're seeing uh, music festivals, things pivot to digital experiences. Um, and, yeah, that we're, people are just going to continue to push that envelope because, um, you know, my feeling is that people will try things out once or twice, but if that's too repetitive, they just won't go back, particularly if it doesn't fulfill this vibe that they, they feel like they get by going to a real festival. Um, but, yeah, I think it, it's, it's exciting times to see what's going to come up in the next month. We're working on some particularly cool things as well, um, which is, yeah, I mean, it's extending that person's journey and that user journey in a, in a really um, 
let's say, immersive way, uh, where we feel like we can leverage um, even a live experience um, that is physically happening somewhere, we can leverage this into a digital format to allow home viewers to get just as much out of the experience as you would at the the actual activation. And I think this is this is particularly interesting right now. Yeah, that, that sounds totally at, at the edge that you can, on the one hand, also have a live audience, but also reach, uh, reach bigger crowds. And in a way, I found it interesting uh, how do you, in a way, engage them with different formats, but also bring them the like some some sensations. That will be the the big challenge. On LinkedIn, we've been in touch when we reconnected about the power of rituals and also the importance of rituals, uh, as, especially in these digital formats. How do you think about overall rituals in in storytelling approaches, but also what is your uh, what your vision for rituals, especially in the digital space when we when we can't kind of like uh, spatially feel each other, but rather just digitally are are connected. Yeah, I mean. This is a kind of research that I'm doing right now. Um, something that we also started in in March during the COVID lockdown is, is uh, you know, we get asked all the time to, to come up with um, mass audience uh, ceremonies, targeting mass audiences. Um, and I've done, you know, probably like 20 or 30 of them in my career, like which are which are least one year um, long projects um, for major activation. And, you know, I think you get to a point where you say, okay, what are we actually achieving here? You know, um, is this legitimately something where people can feel uh, a, a participant, you know, um, on, or are we just creating, you know, a kind of, mirage you know of participation um and i thought since since COVID was restricting our ability to share ceremonies you know at least in a live format um maybe that's an interesting time to reassess okay what what do we actually get out of these ceremonies you know in these big openings and um and cultural kickoffs and things like this And since we were about to start designing one, I thought it's really cool that we question this now within our group and certainly with the client and say, okay, well, why, why are we doing these things? Why are they important? And also asking um, lots of my peers, you know, who I know have grown up um, doing all the major, you know, sporting and Olympic openings um, around the world. And of course, everybody has different perspectives um, about what that is. But we did come down to what we figured was the kind of core rudiment. Um, of course, that's up for debate, but what we considered to be the core rudiment of ceremony and why they're important. And that was, of course, something around as, as humans, we desire to have our values uh, validated, you know, and we validate each other's values by all coming together you know, and, and um, sharing that experience, that makes, that's what makes our values tangible, you know, that we all share that, we acknowledge it and say, yep, I, I understand that, I understand you, yes, we're all here experiencing this as a community together, um, we formed a connection here. And um, 
we like to do these experiences as a group because um, that that moment that we share, it's a clear signal that that event has occurred. Quite simply, you know, it's 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 a signal. We say yes, this just happened. We all experienced that, and that's a marker now. Um, at this point in time, um, this defining event or whatever that is has happened, and now we can all move forward um, somehow with a common mindset, you know, around that um, subject or or event. And this, of course, makes so much sense because um, there's always going to be different or varying degrees of participation. Some people will, you know, dive headfirst into activities that you give them uh, access to. Others will stand on the peripheral, um, on the on the perimeter, sorry, and, and look in. But they're they're participating on where they feel comfortable. But ideally, that mass of people will walk away with that sense of um, connection and, and alignment, you know, in terms of values and, and what they believe in. Um, and for major cultural festivals and, you know, kickoffs or launches and things like this, this is fundamental. That's what, that's what we want. We want people to understand and share our values so that we can all move forward, you know, as, as a, as a um, combined force um, to, to tackle that. Um, so this is, this is how we proceeded with uh, concepting um, this cultural opening for the, for the ECOG year. And um, we tried to always come back to, okay, so what's our mission here? Is, is this our mission um, to, to create a moment where we can share these um, values? And yeah, this, is, this kind of provided the backbone of that uh, conceptual phase, which was really helpful actually. Validating values to like kind of to align in a way align, but also create a common mindset, a common sensation, a common feeling. I think that's what, what it's what it's about, and it feels for me so much more tangible if you're really in a room with these with these persons. On the one hand, I'd like to uh, to also ask you if you create this experience, is it how how to tell you how fixed is the idea what happens with the spectator? Like how at least like for Dundu, sometimes we feel that. For our storytelling approach, it's also to leave some open space for the audience to project, to maybe start their own storytelling, to, to ignite their own imaginary or imaginative uh, motor. How, how do you think, like how, uh, how guided has this journey to be and where are the spaces of, uh, where it can kind of open up a little bit and you, uh, you let space for an own dynamic? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's down to whatever, you know, who who is ever creating what they're creating and what they want that user journey to be. Um, I mean, for me personally, I hate feeling too lost in an experience. If, if, I, if I feel like I'm given too much freedom and not enough guidance, you, you know, you have a tendency to feel a bit lost and then you're questioning, okay, so am I meant to feel lost or is this just a kind of, you know, the gap mm -hmm. in the, in the system. Um, but I'm all for, you know, we, we're pushing a lot, you know, immersive experiences and, you know, this kind of scavenger hunt style where we create a trail of crumbs for people to join the dots and build their own adventure. And I think the, the art within this world is to create enough things that you can grab onto 
but also not be completely lost and dismayed if you lose the trail. So it's kind of this this delicate balance of giving people enough, but also, you know, um, accepting that they might, you know, fall off the off the track or lose interest, but they should still feel comfortable that they could jump back on at any time. And that's this thing where I was telling you, some people want to, you know, race into the, the interactive elements that you give them. Others are happy to watch other people have that experience. That's enough for them. Um, but as long as they feel like they know that they have that choice, you know, and that, that they can stop or start and that they can still follow, um, that is really important so they're not feeling lost. Yeah, that sounds sounds like a good approach because it's it's true as a creative. Sometimes you think, yeah, you want to engage with people more, but some are actually pretty all right in the theater seat and kind of like taking it from a, a consumer point of view and just say, hey, that, that's that's fine for you. How much interaction do you actually want? And maybe it will be for the future even more important to really understand what what is the need of the people, what do they want, and then exactly. give them give them possibilities and and how to find out. Uh, yeah, who's down for the journey and who's rather uh, taking the ride. Yeah. And this is what we do a lot within the creative prototyping process because, um, of course, you know, we're not everybody is alike. Um, I'm, I'm more extrovert. My wife is it's more introvert. You know, or someone in the team where you, where you say, you know, let's, let's workshop this, knock on the table if this works. Some people will instantly say, well, I would never do that, you know, If I was there attending, I would never do that because that's that's their you know their personality and their own restrictions. So then you tailor something which can also meet their needs and find this balance where there's um, a bit of something for everybody. Well, I, I've been lately researching more about flow experiences. You as a circus performer also might know from like uh, juggling, doing acrobatics, you come into these states. And my thesis is in a way that in the future of event design, we'll also have to try to bring as many of the, uh, of, as many persons of the crowd into this flow experience, which is a quite individual state. Some are probably more mindful flowers, some are more into like this extroverted, extroverted route. Do you, uh, well, Actually, like, first of all, are you familiar with this flow experience and with the state of flow? And do you also integrate designing around flow into your, into your project? Or is this something you could agree on that flow will be an important metric for, for the future of events? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess flow, flow comes in all different packages and, you know, in terms of it. So um, I think, I think that's kind of the miracle of uh, a really moving uh, live theater or performance um, experience where that electricity or dynamic in the air, you know, you feel like you have the, the, the crowd and everybody's uh, on the edge of their seats. You know, you've really captured that audience and the same thing, the audience really feels when the, when the cast or the, the, you know, the, the, the troop is in this clique and all moving as one entity. Um, that's the magic of theater, isn't it really? Um, or, or in the magic of live performance. So, yeah, I mean, of course, um, I, I understand that. I'm also deep, deep into meditation, you know, as a, as a form of, um, first of all, stopping my mind, you know, from, from working all day and all night. Um, but secondly, as an inspiration for creative impulses. Um, and for me, that's a flow I get into every morning and, and, and every afternoon. 
um, when I do those sessions um, is to reconnect, basically. And I think, you know, you can feel like you're on a flow when you're in a kind of anxiety-driven um, adrenaline. But for me, I've seen a distinction there. You know, what I, what I used to do in, in my 20s and 30s, now I see that as really disruptive, you know, and the flow is actually finding peace and uh, calming the thoughts and the, the, the new stuff that comes is quite remarkable. Um, but I, I wouldn't tell anybody how to get in or out of that flow. I think that's kind of an individual thing. Um, and it's questionable if you can even put a kind of, uh, let's say, a uh, formula on how to achieve that in live performance, because I think there's so much involved. It's like a sporting game, you know, where, where the, the football uh, fans are all willing <laughs> that ball to go in one side of the net. Um, there's no formula to, to calculate how that's achievable. It's, it's a dynamic between um, what's on stage and what's, what's uh, watching, I guess, or participating. Well, yeah, we might need some more uh, brain scanning and more technology, but then in the end, I think it's, I think so. uh, it's, it's a state that, uh, yeah, sometimes it's happened and you, you can, if you try to uh, enforce it, it might be even harder to, to get into it. So, yeah, sometimes the magic is that, yeah, you mentioned like uh, there's this miracle happening and maybe exactly because it is a miracle makes us so trying to, to achieve it, but sometimes the magic happens if you then uh, release and then, and then it happens. Ignore it. Yeah, <laughs> ignore yeah. it. Yeah, I say, okay, no, yeah. I tried too hard, and then and then it's there. Well, you you mentioned a bit about your creative routine, about meditation. Do you have some some hacks for our listeners? How do you get into your creative mind? One, what are the the rituals and the routines that you established for yourself in order to uh, yeah to see beyond and create these these masterpieces? Yeah, I mean, um, I don't think I have like all the answers for anybody. I think. For myself, um, I tend to get a bit obsessive about projects when I'm working on them. So my, I'll be, you know, prototyping 24-7 in my mind um, until I feel like I've got the solution. You know, and that means like really going through every possible scenario about why something may or may not work and, you know, what, what would be great about that and what, would, what could potentially fail and that's exhausting, you know, and that's, that's something that I really use meditation now just to switch off, you know, just stop that kind of, uh, crazy obsessive thoughts. But, um, what's great is the meditation kind of creates space there where, um, a lot of those doubts, you know, or solutions that you're searching for, um, resolve themselves. And that's, that's really amazing. You know, that's, that's an, that's an incredible tool, which I would highly recommend everybody uses. As soon as you create that space in your head, um, suddenly things become much more, uh, tangible, you know, and, 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 and there's clarity about how you can fix things, um, with, with little effort. So, um, I would say that that's one major thing. And also, which goes hand in hand with that is about giving yourself enough, uh, space, you know, allowing yourself gaps in the day, um, to, to let your mind wander and, you know, think about things that you're not just thinking about under stress or because of a, a you know, a time, um, a deadline or a time restriction. That's hugely helpful. Um, everybody else will get influence 
from different areas. For me, music is a huge inspiration. Um, we have great uh, pool of talented people here who are always throwing stuff on the table saying, Hey, this is cool. That's interesting. Likewise for me, uh, seeing something online and, you know, handing it over to another department saying, Hey, have a look at that. Um, what, what could we make of it? But I must say often I'll see something, someone will show me something and I'll, I'll think immediately, ah, that's cool. But you know, what would be really cool is if it was used like, you know, and find a new use for that um, idea. Um, reappropriating technology or, you know, ideas in, in using them in different ways, cross industry um, influences, for example, stuff that doesn't belong in you know, on stage or in an experience, bringing that into an experience is always a huge influence. So, yeah. Yeah, That's, kind of um, like, like rewiring or reconnecting the dots. I also uh, am, am a big fan that you see sometimes something and then you connect it in, in a different, with a different technology, in a different approach, and then it really uh, unfolds in a totally new way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Using something that was previously just a tool and and adapting it to um, your your purposes, and you know, exhausting its potential, basically, um, looking at how many different ways it can be used, which is always nice. And in, in a way, it's the same with technology. Technology is. Maybe right now it's shifting a bit because technology used to be nice. Well, nice to have is not the right word, but like you need it, but it should be not too too permanent, too uh, too uh, too visible. But it should just be there and working nicely to to guide the experience. Um, but on the techno techn but on the technological horizon, what kind of trends do you see that will really like disrupt? this whole industry in a new way is there ar vr uh, artificial intelligence what what things do you see happening and converging currently well yeah i mean of course we are um or have been since a couple of years using you know a lot of augmented and mixed reality um tools for for various uses within um yeah you know brand experience client client presentations things like this um, again, I think those tools aren't necessarily the answer to creativity, but, um, what, you know, being able to take your, um, let's say client pitch or presentation and let the client experience that in virtual reality is a game changer, you know, that, that they can stand now in front of the building where you're going to do your, um, event and they can experience what you're going to do there as a, as someone in the front row of the audience on the night, um, this is what we're doing now. That's how we're, we're taking the, the work to, to the client so they can say, yes, this is exactly what I want. Or, you know, that I imagine something different. Um, yeah, I, this is just uh, stuff to get really excited about. I think, you know, about uh, the ability and in, in, in depth you can um, tell the story and, and immerse the person within that world. Um, and those tools are all making it more and more possible. But again, I think it's like, um, how can those tools be used creatively? You know, how, how, how are they helping us tell uh, more complex stories or how, how is that allowing us to dive more emotionally into an experience? Um, because just having it for an effect is, um, is like seeing an explosion in a film for no reason. You know, if you haven't built up the dramatic uh, effect, 
the explosion has very little consequence. So, um, yeah, but it's it's interesting times for tech, particularly now with with uh, the pivoting that's going on to digital events. Um, how we can create a user journey, and certainly how we can create you know reach um, with uh, online experiences and um, you know and, and visual storytelling. So it's really really exciting. Yeah, I heard the term recently, mass customization, so that it's not just reaching a big big audience, but still making this experience in a way individual. And uh, and I think like yeah, we're just probably at the starting point of of this journey where this is is leading to. Mm. When I was looking through your biography, the symphony of now popped up, and I think it would be worthwhile for our listeners as well to hear a little bit how this project like was developed by you 2018 and uh, and a bit the vision behind it and how you actually right now I think you're also bringing it into a new dimension. Yeah, um, so Symphony of Now, it's funny. I mean, you know, I'd never worked uh, really in producing films before. And um, uh, my longest uh, friend and collaborator in, in Berlin, um, Max Hasmer, and I started a new company, um, Papal Studios, um, which was kind of serving as a, a kind of, let's say, that for the creative projects that came between us that didn't fit into either of our companies. Um, so Symphony of Now was one of those. It was kind of a passion project that we um, started that was uh, initially supported. Um, we were given some, some um, support from Audi. Um, we wanted to make this, this documentation of Berlin before it uh, became overdeveloped and show, you know, this kind of eclectic um, subculture of Berlin as well as, look at all the, you know, the, the, the architecture, like going inside every theater and cinema and, you know, historic building, because um, every time you turn around, you know, in Berlin, another building is gone or something, you know, a block of flats has gone up or all the holes have been filled in. That happens so rapidly. So we, that project was meant to serve as a time of, type of time capsule for the Berlin that we um, really admired and, you know, experience over the last 10 years um and yeah we we uh we had the idea to create a kind of symphonic film um inspired by symphony der Großstadt, you know the film from the 1930s which was like one of the first symphonic films which looked at a city as an organism so a bit like um baraka you know which came in the 90s you know they he's doing a lot of these um wide camera shots looking at you know people flowing into the city in the morning and it was kind of 12 hours of the daytime um it was meant to be happening over 12 hours um showing people through industry work you know home life how the the streets were moving and of course he you know in that process Rutman documented a lot of um the architecture and, and how the city looked and um social trends and things like this so we decided to make uh, a film with a similar structure, but which happens, you know, from sunset to sunrise, not one day, but one evening. In Berlin, you can imagine there's a lot of culture that's happening all through the night. But what we did what, what, that was really interesting is we commissioned a soundtrack um, that was uh, uh, directed by Frank Wiedemann, 
who is, you know, one of the leading electronic producers uh, from Germany, um, uh, you know, at the moment. And he brought together, you know, a whole bunch of inspiring um, and leading electronic collaborators like Mode Selector, you know, and, and a whole bunch of others, Good and Good. Um, they did a series of improvisations whilst watching the original Symphony de Grosstadt. And they, they composed a soundtrack which fits to that original black and white film. And then we took that 63 minutes, you know, which provides the pulse and the rhythm and the, you know, the dramatic build and the tonality and emotion. Um, and we edited all this new footage that we'd shot over six months from around Berlin. And we basically made this, you know, this, this uh, 63 minute, you know, uh, evolving music video with the pulse of the original film, you know, inherent in the music. And this, um, this was a beautiful organic, you know, influence from, from the original film where we'd captured the heart and, 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 and soul. Um, but yeah, the, the, the skin that we applied was, was the new color, you know, film of, of Berlin. So we had, you know, we had some great success with that film. Um, and we're actually in the process right now. We just got a, a development grant from the Midian board um, to start a pro, like kind of production design for a symphony of now series. So we want to do something like this in several major cities, um, working you know, collaborative, collaboratively with local musicians, um, local filmmakers and get the essence of each of one of those cities, but in a similar structure. So we'll have a kind of symphony of, of now series in that sense, um, which is really exciting because as I said, it's kind of a side project, a passion project for us. Um, and, and something that we really enjoy doing in collaboration with major um, musicians and composers and filmmakers. So that's, that's been great. Oh, that, that sounds amazing too. Well, Especially for the for the future gener generations to allow these these time travels in uh, yeah in times when everything gets so much more digital digitalized and we might have these uh, these head mounted devices that that really like we well sometimes it is to uh, to hold the essence of the moment and I think that's what I understand uh, from the from the project to also um, not be too much in the past not be too much in the future but also take this moment in time and. And try to capture them, and for everybody, uh, for anybody, it might uh, seem then a bit different, but to yeah, to capture this essence. Yeah, I think that's the magic of of Symphony of Now um, from Berlin is because we shot this in the summer of 2017, and it's already appeared in in several installations um, where they've compared, uh, you know, a few films, like two or three films, which have documented Berlin over the years starting with Symphony der Großstadt, and it's already being referred to as a reference of that time. And, and actually, if you, if you look at it, it already feels like decades ago, you know, about the, the style of the film and the, you know, the, the, the fashion and, you know, the look of the city, it, it already has uh, changed remarkably. So in 10, 20 years, when we look back, it, it, it's really going to hold that um, time capsule status. Well, in, the, in a way, how I understand it, it could be as well an impulse for creatives in Buenos Aires, in wherever, to also try to uh, 
uh, to capture the power of this moment. That's uh, yeah, that, that's amazing that you yeah, that, that you have the chance to bring this to different cities. What's go, what's the next city on uh, on the bucket list that you're trying to, well, to bring it on? We're we're not looking at um, major major cities, so we're always kind of shooting for the underdog. Um, so without giving a full list, we're, I'm basically saying like you know, if in France it wouldn't be Paris, it'd be more like Marseille, for example. Um, and yeah, we have, we have a whole bunch in mind right now we're we're in production design. So we've still got a, a ways to go before we, um, you know, start saying, okay, next city is X. Um, but yeah, we, we, we want to show music, uh, music driven cities. We want to show cities which have, you know, a kind of hidden story, um, that needs to be told and, or, you know, something in essence which needs to be captured before it disappears so a bit in line with what, with what we did in berlin but let's see yeah more more to come we only just found out we got this uh funding so we're really happy about that the first time we've applied i'm very grateful to the medium board for supporting that project um so yeah let's see wow well, well, thanks so much for, for giving this insight, especially beyond the Battle Royale uh, part of work that you, that you find or you make the time for your passion project because I think that's, uh, that's what being creative, being, being an artist is about to, to stay, as Steve Jobs put it once, stay hungry, stay, stay foolish to, to really follow your passion in this way. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to, to share with the listeners, your, your credo, something for kind of like upcoming artists, how, how they can find their way in these uh, unprecedented times? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's an interesting thing. I think it's really challenging for people right now. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about students that are coming out of school right now and, and not having those opportunities where, you know, the industry is pumping and all the doors are open and you know that that's how it was when i um graduated um school and came into the industry work industry um it, it's tough you know i think that that's tough but at the same time there's a huge amount of tools and um you know education and experiences available online um there's there's a ton of companies that are going to be looking for um new input and staff and people that are eager just to jump in. But I think with restriction also comes a huge amount of opportunity. Um, I had a lot of, uh, as I said, I had a lot of um, possibilities on offer, but I also, I created a lot of those, those um, possibilities, particularly in my early 20s. So um, I would really advise people to reach out, you know, reach out to things and people and companies and, you know, anything that you're interested in, reach out and ask because people are so often afraid to ask. And I think as soon as they do, they're surprised at how quickly they can actually get to the person or um, subject that they're interested in. And um, what's the worst that can happen? You know, you'd be told no or try again next year. Or so I would really, uh, yeah, really push this basically is ask to go after anything that you're interested in, do whatever you can basically to get there. Um, but me personally, I've never been like a goal planner, you know, I don't have a five year plan or anything like this. A lot of my experiences have led to the next and I've just kind of organically followed that trail. Sometimes I've made really clear major decisions where I think, okay, it could go this way or it could go that way. 
Um, luckily, those decisions often paid off and led in a really great way. Um, but basically, yeah, I think we've all learned a huge amount over the last month during the COVID scenario about just take one things one day at a time. You know, don't don't take things for granted. Appreciate those moments you have with your family, um, parents. My parents are in Australia. I probably won't get to see them, you know, for who knows another year. It's, uh, that's really challenging. But um, thanks to you know online video chat and everything like this, you can catch up with people as much as you want. You know, of course, you don't have the physical proximity and touch, but you can stay in touch and you can get a lot done. But yeah, taking things one day at a time right now. That's that's pretty much what everybody is doing. Cool. Well, thanks, Brent, for sharing well these personal insights, these uh, professional advice as well, because I think it's really the time where uh, we should reach out. We should, on the one hand, listen to ourselves, but then reach out to the persons, uh, connect us, and then um, yeah, create movements. Uh, that was, uh, for me, a super inspiring conversation. The, the topics that we covered from uh, the Australian circus where we started off uh, towards the immersive experience that you create, how technology is is shaping and changing the game to to these advices i think i thank you so much for for taking the time and we will post more info about you in the show notes to yeah to also reach out to to brandon and to see how the symphony of now is uh, yeah coming to different cities and how battle royal is uh, is driving these this creative pivot and i hope to yeah meet you in person soon at the shows wherever whenever awesome thanks fabian great that you're doing this That was already the 10th episode of the CRT podcast and I'm so grateful to have you join in. Please share your feedback and actually I would love to know what are the areas and topics that you would like me to cover in the podcast. Write us on Instagram at CRTsNow and please let's stay in touch.